0: planning to go play disc golf this evening. and uh, uh, But yeah, I'm glad you're all here and, and awake, and, and we're here. Hey, guys, if you've not yet met me, my name is Jeff. Uh, my beautiful wife, Jessica, and I, we are the youth pastors here at Grace, and I also get the privilege to serve on this teaching team, where I get to bring a message about once a month. And today, I'll be taking you through a very difficult chapter of the Bible. We're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 13 um and so if you want to you know get extra points on your test that you're not going to have uh you can go and open up your bibles there go and get prepared Uh, of course it'll be on the sky bible it'll be in the app we got you covered everywhere um but before we jump in uh i'm going to pray for us and i'm just going to bless this message before we dive in because it's going to be a tough one all right father god we thank you so much for this day lord god we know that you are worthy you are worthy god that you are good that you are holy and you are mighty God, that you are deserving of the praise even if we feel like we can't give it, Lord. You are so good, and we just pray that you'd be here in this place. God, I pray for your Holy Spirit to be present. God, I pray that you would be here, that you would dwell amongst us, God. Your word says that where two or more gathered in your name, you are in the midst, God. So we know that you are right here. God, we know that you are here with us, and I just pray that you would open up our hearts, God, that you would open up our ears, and God, that we would be able to hear and understand your truth and to receive it today. And Father, I pray that it would be your truth that I speak in your word alone. God, I pray that it's none of Jeff's words that are heard, but it's all yours. Father, we love you and we trust you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen and amen. Before we get started, I always like to talk about the kiddos, right? Um, And I I have learned, uh, I've said this many times, but I feel like I've learned more about God from being a father than I have any other circumstance in life. Because whenever I, I look at my children, um, I can somewhat understand the way that God looks at me and the way God looks at us. Because when you're when you're a parent, when you have a child, when you have a, a small creature that you know depends on you and you just love them unconditionally, you can somewhat understand just a, a fraction of the love that God has for you. And uh, I, I love my kids. They're amazing. They're they're creative and 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 sometimes they're kind. Right. Sometimes they're crazy, right? Like the other day, um, London, uh, uh, Jessica's mom was bringing the kids here, and they passed someone who was having a hard time on the side of the road, and right when they passed, the ambulance came and and a cop car came, and London's first words was, let's pray for him. And then she did. She prayed for him. It was amazing. I know, and sometimes I look at that, and I'm like, wow, we did that. Look what we did. (laughs) And then sometimes I'm like, that's all you. That's not for me. I don't know what that was, right? The thing is, like, being, being a parent is amazing because you get, to, you get to, to raise them up and instill these qualities in them. But sometimes, but sometimes the qualities you instill in them aren't the best ones, right? Like, we've been, as our kids have been growing, uh, London is seven, Shepherd is three, they've been growing. And as I've been watching, I realized that they are getting more and more qualities of us. And they're getting all of Jessica's good qualities and all of my bad ones. I don't, I don't know. L- l- for example, Shepard had to have surgery when he was five weeks old. Little tiny baby. Had pyloric stenosis. Guess who that came from? That's me. Uh, he's struggled with asthma. Guess who that came from? He's afraid of heights and like everything else. Guess who that came from? Y'all leave me alone. All right. London has the attention span of a cracker. All right. Guess who that came from? <laughs> she is just completely forgetful. That's that's me, that's me too. Um, she breaks out in a rash every time she touches anything she's allergic to. That's, that's me. We are like, they're so cute. That's her. <laughs> I love the color of their hair, also also her. I love their eyes. That's, well, that's my mom. I guess maybe I can take some credit for that. That's not necessarily me. But those are like the things that, you know, we can't control over, right? Like they're the, these, the health things we have no control over. What's the, what's worse is whenever you start to see your bad habits that you're fully in control of and they start doing them, right? Your, your bad habits never look worse than they do on your children. And you're like, Oh, I shouldn't do that. Like if you guys know me at all, I am, I am just an eternal procrastinator, I am. I, I, I work on it. I really do. But if I have a 10-minute task and five days to do it, I will do it in five days with 10 minutes left. And I will do it excellently, mind you. I work very well under pressure, but it's not a good thing, right? But then I, I, my, my words to my wife so often, and she hates them, and I understand why now, is in a minute, right? Any, any other husbands, in a minute? Or I'll do it tomorrow. Tomorrow never comes. <laughs> or we'll do that next weekend, Right, Next weekend is always a better time than this weekend. And, and uh, for me, that seemed like a suitable answer until my daughter starts telling me in a minute or I'll do it tomorrow. And I'm like, child, <laughs> you're testing me. And then I start to understand. I start to see myself, right? It, is, it, is, uh, it, it feels bad when we start to see our bad habits in our children. We start realizing, I've got to fix that. You see, because the truth of the matter is, is your kids may not listen to what you say, but they will watch what you do, right? They'll watch what you do, even if they act like they're not listening. They got their their AirPods in and they got it cranked up to 15. They're not listening to your words, but they're watching your actions. And so they're looking at and, and making important in their lives what you're making important in your life. And so whatever we want our children to be, whatever future we want them to have, we need to make sure we're already living that out. Right? If we want God and church to be important to our kids, it needs to be important to us. Right? If, we, if we want reading the Bible to be important to our children, it needs to be important to us. If we want prayer to be important to our children, it needs to be important to us. We need to be modeling that, not just telling them what to do. Because there's so many parents out there that you know, the, the, there's this mantra that, you know, do as I say, not as I do. That doesn't work. They will do as you do. You want your your children to to be able to handle finances better, handle finances better. Model for them the life you want them to live. You want them to treat their spouse better or have a spouse that treats them better, model that. Our children will do as we do. That is how it works. And a lot of times, as we'll see in the chapter today, they will do it in excess, right? Uh, It's often said that what we allow in one generation will be celebrated in the next and the same thing is true with these, these qualities that we pass down, these bad habits, and, and heaven forbid the sins that we pass down, because our children are watching us, and they will watch the sins that we commit. They will watch the things that are important to us, and they will replicate them in generations to come. And so we are fully in control by what we value, what we hold dear, and what sins we let, we let into our life and what sins we allow to control us. We're going to see in the text today, this is exactly what happens with David's sons. They essentially replicate the sins that he committed, but they did them in excess. They did them a little bit further. And so I've titled today's message, The Ripple Effect of Sin. The Ripple Effect of Sin. Your sins today will have a ripple effect in your family for generations to come. And that's why we have to learn to control them, not just for ourselves, not just for our own relationship with God, but also the relationship of our children with God and the relationship of their children with God. We need to make sure that we're living a life for more than just ourselves. We're living a life for the generations that are to come after us. Yes? We're going to jump into the text now. I'm going to jump in. We'll be in 2 Samuel chapter 13. I'm going to start with verse 1. Go on deep, all right? In the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. All right, let's just break down those names real quick. So the first person we meet is Amnon. Amnon is David's oldest son. He is the crown prince, so he is the next in line for the throne. Uh, he is the oldest son, the crown prince. He is, his mother is Ahinoam. All right, this is Amnon. Now, the next name we get is Tamar. Now, Tamar is David's only daughter that is mentioned in the text. She is David's only daughter, and her mother is Maka. The last one we get is Absalom, which is David's third son, so third in line for the crown, uh, and his mother is also Maka. And so we've seen here that the Bible refers to Tamar as Absalom's sister, uh, and that is because they have the same mother. But Amnon is also a child of David, but under a different mother. And so when they're referring, uh, in a moment, Amnon will refer to Tamar as his brother's sister. I don't know if you do a little bit of math here, but the daughter of your father is still your sister, right? So we have here an individual named Amnon that is in love with his own sister, half-sister, but still sister, all right? says this, verse two, Amnon became so obsessed with his sister Tamar that he made himself ill. She was a virgin and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. Now Amnon had an advisor named Jonadab, son of Shemaiah, David's brother. Uh, Jonadab was a very shrewd man. He asked Amnon, why do you, the king's son, look so haggard morning after morning? Won't you tell me? Amnon said to him, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. He couldn't bring himself to say my sister, my brother's sister. That's different entirely, right? And so even the wording here is that she was a virgin and he found it impossible to do anything to her is very nefarious wording, But what we have here is we have his cousin who comes, Jonadab is his cousin, it is David's brother's son, and so his cousin Jonadab comes and he says, hey, why are you looking the way you're looking? What's going wrong? What's going on? And he says, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother's sister. And now a good cousin, a good friend would have like smacked him, right, I mean, just a good one too, just get his attention, wake him up just a little bit, and he'd have been like, bro, you are the crown prince of Israel, you can have any woman in Israel you want, leave your sister alone, you weirdo. Right? Like, I mean, that's what a good friend does. That's how you know you have a best friend. They'll smack you and call you a weirdo. All right? That's a best friend. Now, a a not-so-good friend will go along with your plans. We'll see that in just a moment. But last time I was up here, I talked specifically about being aware of and and being cautious about who you allow to speak into your life. Right? Right? The last time we were up, we seen another individual who allowed advisors speak into his life that did not have his best intention. Right now, we have Amnon allowing, who's about to allow Jonadab to speak into his life that doesn't have his best intention. You will encounter people in your life that will try to speak into your life, but have, do not have your best, uh, your best intention. They don't have the best intentions for what the words they're telling you. What I would caution you to do is not to allow people to speak into your life that are not being spoken into by God. Right? Because if you are allowing people of this world to speak into you, you are being influenced by this world, and this world doesn't want anything good for you. And their words may seem wise and their words may seem good, but if they're not being spoken into by the Father, they have no, they have no uh, reason to speak into you, and you have no reason to heed their words. And so you only allow a select few people that can speak into your life, because if you allow the wrong people to speak into your life, they will lead you in the wrong direction. And we're going to see in just a moment that Amnon does not heed my advice, and he allows Jonadab to, to speak into his life, and he, he, takes his, uh, he takes his words as wisdom, and he, he heeds to them. And, and in doing so, it's going to lead into a whole mess, as we're about to see. Okay, so this is what Jonadab says, that great cousin who gives, you know, the most excellent advice that has none of Amnon's best intention at heart. He says, Go to bed. And pretend to be ill, Jonadab said. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare the food in my sight so I may watch her and then eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. When the king came to see him, Amnon said to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and make some special bread in my sight so I may eat it from her hand. Medicine was weird back in the day, just so y'all know. David sent word to Tamar at the palace. Go to the house of your brother Amnon and prepare some food for him. So Tamar went to the house of her brother Amnon, who was lying down. She took some dough, kneaded it, made the bread in his sight, and baked it. Then she took the pan and served him the bread, but he refused to eat. Send everyone out of here, Amnon said, and so everyone left. So what we have here, just just notice for just a moment, is. We have him heeding the advice of his cousin, Jonadab, who does not have his best interests. And we're going to see in a moment, Jonadab just wants to cause drama. And there are people in our lives that just want to cause drama. But also, we see Tamar, who is so kind and so loving. She does exactly as her father asks. Her father asks, hey, your brother's not feeling good. Go and bake him some bread and, and bring it to him in his house. And she does exactly as asked. She shows love and she shows kindness. But we see Amnon here that is so disgruntled because of this love that he claims to have. That he is going along with an evil plan to to get her here and get her alone. So everybody left. Then Amnon said to Tamar, "'Bring the food here into my bedroom so I may eat from your hand.' And Tamar took the bread she had prepared and brought it to her brother Amnon in his bedroom. But when she took it to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, "'Come to bed with me, my sister.' No, my brother, she said to him, don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Don't do this wicked thing. What about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? And what about you? You would be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. Please speak to the king. He will not keep me from being married to you. But he refused to listen to her. And since he was stronger than she, he raped her. Then Amnon hated her with an intense hatred. In fact, he hated more than he had loved her. Amnon said to her, get up and get out. And this is why this is one of the most difficult chapters of the Bible to, to speak about. We read this that happens, and in the very beginning, he claims that he loves her, that he's in love with her. But we realize very quickly that he was not in love with her. He lusted after her. And that is very different. And I don't think I have to stand up here and Preach to you that rape is wrong. We all know that is the most vile and an evil act that one person can take. And I don't know if I'm allowed to say this as like the preacher, but Amnon will get what he deserves very soon. But what I want to speak to for just a moment is anyone that's been in Tamar's position. That You'll see in just a moment Tamar, she mourns, she rips her clothes, she goes and mourns. And she is brokenhearted because of what happened, and rightfully so. But if you've ever been in that position, I want you to know that in the sight of God, you are pure. That you are loved, and you are holy. And and God loves you. You have a loving Father in heaven that loves you. And that covers you with His grace and with His mercy. And I just want you to know, you know, everyone here is praying for you. I can't imagine what that would be like. And then I want to take just a moment and look at what Amnon did, right? He, he thought he wanted something. He desired it so badly that it made him sick, that it literally made him physically sick because he desired it so badly. And once he had it, he hated it. You see, this is a, a, an example of what sin does to us. We often desire and crave sin, and we want it so badly. We think if we just have this thing, we will be happy. We will be fulfilled. If we could just accomplish this, if we could just obtain this, we will finally be happy. But whenever we get sin and we allow sin into our life and we allow sin to take hold of us, we will immediately turn to hate it. And if we can't bring ourselves to hate it, we will hate ourselves. This is what sin does. Sin comes to destroy Sin comes to capture you for a, a lifetime. There's not a single sin that is not addictive. And so in this, he finally gets and obtains what he wants, and he hates her. More so, I think he hates himself. Because it was not fulfilling, and so many will spend lifetimes chasing what they think will fulfill them, what they think will fit, make them happy, what they think that will bring them satisfaction and joy. And when they obtain it, They'll be in misery because it did not fulfill them. This is what Amnon did here. The next thing I want to look at is something I didn't really want to talk about, but God kind of like put it on my my heart that I should. Sometimes I don't like when he does that. but At the end of the day, I'm here to serve him. Amnon only wanted one thing from Tamar. He did not love her. If he loved her, he would have married her. Right? So I'm going to say this for just a moment. If there is someone in your life and they want to sleep with you but not marry you, they do not love you. Right? Marriage isn't, it's not about legality, it's about spirituality. Marriage is about making a commitment before God. And if someone is refusing to marry you but they still want to sleep with you and have all the benefits of marriage, that means that they haven't decided at this point that you're good enough for them to spend the rest of their life with. Right? Because the reason you would say no to marriage is because you don't want to be committed to that other person. But God is very clear on his rules for sexuality. He he calls us to, to celibacy before marriage and monogamy after marriage. And in case there's any confusion, marriage is clearly outlined as the eternal union of one man to one woman. Now we will look in scripture and we will see people that did not get that right. David himself had seven or eight wives. But God is clear on his calling, and and he's clear on his direction, and he is clear on what he has for marriage and what he has for sex. Celibacy before marriage and monogamy after. That is the union of one man to one woman. That is the calling. And And I bring that up, not that I wanted to, but because we have a tendency as Christians to highlight the sins we don't do and sweep under the rugs the sins that we do. And so let me just say this, sex outside of marriage is the same sin as homosexuality. I know, I didn't want to say it either. It's sexual immorality. Yet we will point out, the homosexuals, we will point out everyone's celebrating Pride Month, and I get it, they're in sin, I'm not saying they're not. But we sweep our sins under the rug. And so maybe we should spend the moment thinking about our own sins, reflecting on our own life, reflecting on our own relationships with, with God and our own relationship with Jesus and our own obedience to the word of God and quit pointing out what everyone else is doing. Right? That's, that's all I wanted to say about that. <laughs> I told you I didn't want to. <laughs> he tells her though, Amnon, again, Amnon does not love Tamar. He tells her to get out. Then he says this in verse 16. No, she said to him, sending me away would be a greater wrong than what you've already done to me. But he refused to listen to her. He called his personal servant and said, get this woman out of my sight and bolt the door after her. Now let's just talk for a moment. How would him sending her away be a greater evil than what he has already done? You have to understand the the culture that was here at this moment. A, A woman's most valuable asset was her virginity, right? It's something that's really not not held in high regard in today's culture. I understand that. But in this culture, virginity was the single most valuable thing a woman had, right? So much so that if a woman was found to not be a virgin on her wedding night, she would be brought, according to the Mosaic Law, she'd be brought before uh, her own father and stoned to death in his presence because she was not a virgin, virginity was held in very high regard virginity was the way that she could get married it was the way that she could have a future It was the way that that she would be taken care of because the mother wouldn't work she would have children and she would take care of the children and then one day whenever she or if she was a widow the children would take care of her but prior to that her husband would take care of her so if a woman had no husband she had no one to care for her and if she were not a virgin she could not obtain a husband And so in this moment, Amnon took everything from her. So it's not just that Amnon lusted after her. He didn't care for her at all. All he cared about was himself. And I'm sorry, there is a lot of people in this world right now that are doing relationships exactly the same way. There's a lot of people right now that are ruining individuals because all they care about is themselves. Sure, at this moment, we have Amnon that physically rapes someone, but I believe there's a lot of emotional rape that's happening that you promise love and commitment and marriage all to get in bed with somebody. I don't see a lot of difference. But in, in today's culture, Amnon would be called a player, and he would brag about his body count, and he would be held as a hero before his friends, and maybe it's the father in me, or maybe it's I'm a moral individual, I don't know, but I think that is just repulsive myself. And maybe it's because I know that guys like this and maybe girls like this are still able to get individuals that want to be with them, that want to love them. And then I know people that are praying every night for a godly spouse to come into their life. There are people out there, we're just looking in the wrong places. Love y'all, but the bar ain't the place to do it. (laughs) So he, in this moment, he doesn't just not love her. He absolutely despises her. So let's keep keep reading. So a servant put her out and bolted the door after her. She was wearing an ornate robe, for this was the kind of garment the virgin daughters of the king wore. Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the ornate robe she was wearing. She put her hands on her head and went away, weeping aloud as she went. Her brother Absalom said to her, this is interesting, Has that Amnon, your brother, been with you? How do you know? Be quiet for now, my sister. He is your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. And Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. This, will be, this is the last verse of scripture we'll read about her. Is that she will live with her brother as a desolate or an empty woman. And her name actually meant fruitfulness. But from this moment, she is desolate or empty, unloved. When King David heard of all of this, I'm sure he did a lot, he was furious And Absalom never said a word to Amnon, neither good or bad. He hated Amnon because he had disgraced his sister Tamar. What happens here, what's interesting in this is cultural is that Tamar would have worn a, a robe of many colors, similar to what Joseph wore. Uh, she would have wore a robe of many cl- colors, marking her as a virgin daughter of the king. When she leaves, she rips her robe because she can no longer claim that, and she puts ash on her head in mourning of what she had lost. Now, what I find interesting is when she, her brother Absalom sees her crying, he says, what's wrong? Has your brother Amnon been with you? That is quite the assumption to make when you see someone crying. And so, I have two theories on what happened. Neither are backed up necessarily biblically. The second one, I I feel, a little more accurately, but number one is that Amnon seemed to be pretty free with his words of his desire for his sister. Whenever he talked to Jonadab, Jonadab asked, what's wrong? And he's like, I'm in love with my sister. And so maybe he was just very free with his words, and they all knew there was something weird going on there. The second is maybe there was a snake in the family. Maybe there was a shrewd individual that knew what was going to happen and continued to spread the word just to create drama and conflict. We're going to see more things about this shrewd individual named Jonadab in just a few minutes. But remember, Jonadab is the one that gave Amnon the plan. And it's very possible that he just wanted to create conflict, and so he went and told Absalom what Amnon was planning. And we're going to see in just a few minutes, two years later, he still has has details on what's taking place that no one else seems to have. And so it's very possible... There's someone in the family that just wants to cause drama. Verse 23 says, Two years later, when Absalom's sheep shearers were at Baal Hazor... Near the border of Ephraim, he invited all the king's sons to come there. And Absalom went to the king and said, your servant has had shearers come. Will the king and his attendants please join me? So uh, the shearing, they were, they were a, um, a shepherding family. You know, David was a shepherd. It kept going. This sheep shearing would have been almost like a party that they would throw whenever they had the shearers there to shear the sheep. I try to say that fast. Will the king and his attendants please join me? No, my son, the king replied. All of us should not go. We would only be a burden to you. Although Absalom urged him, he still refused to go, but gave him his blessing. Then Absalom said, if not, please let my brother Amnon come with us. The king asked him, why should he go with you? Oh, you see, Absalom, he's the scary kind of guy, right? Everybody's afraid of the guy that rages out and tries to beat up everybody. No, no, you don't have to worry about that dude. You got to worry about the guy that goes away quietly and plots his revenge, That's the individual you got to worry about. And that's what Absalom was like. He's waited two years to get Amnon by himself. Two years. And so he says, he he rings up his father and he's like, hey, David, won't you come over? We're going to do this. We're going to have a cool party. And he knows David's a busy guy. And and David's like, no, no, I can't go. I can't go. And he's like, all right, fine. If you're not going to go, at least send Amnon, okay? Finally, David relents. And Absalom goes and tells his men, he says, we're going to get Amnon drunk. And when he is drunk, I want you to stab him and kill him. And that's exactly what happens. is they go, Amnon goes, he drinks, he's merry, and then he's dead. Absalom's plan comes to fruition, but what we see happen here is all of David's other sons were evidently there with him, and they fled from the scene. They all ran away whenever this took place. The belief here is probably that they ran away because they thought Absalom was going to kill them all so that he would be the only heir to the throne. Remember, there was a political investment that Absalom had. And we will see that Absalom very much wanted the throne. And so him killing Amnon was, yes, him, you know, killing Amnon for what Amnon did to his sister, but also it got an heir out of the way of the throne. The first heir, the crown prince. And so there was a a bit more there. And so what happens is word comes back to David, false word, mind you. The word comes back to David and it says, Absalom has killed all the king's sons. We know that's not true. But don't worry, there's an individual there that's going to straighten things up. Can you guess his name? Mr. Jonadab. 32. But Jonadab, son of Shemaiah, David's brother, said, My lord should not think that they killed all the princes. Only Amnon is dead. This has been Absalom's express intention ever since the day Amnon raped his sister Tamar. My lord, the king, should not be concerned about the report that all the king's sons are dead. Only Amnon is dead. Remember what I said, Jonadab just seems to have this inside knowledge of what took place. And I'm just wondering, maybe he's been having some conversations with Absalom, just kind of there stirring up the pot, trying to keep things going. Y'all, you've you got to be careful who we allow to speak into our lives. Because there are people that will destroy our lives with nothing more than their words. We see that once this took place, Absalom fled and went to Talmai, son of Amihad, the king of Gesher. Uh, but King David mourned many days for his son. After Absalom fled and went to Geshur, he stayed there for three years. And King David longed to go to Absalom, and for he was consoled concerning Amnon's death. So even at this point, Absalom has fled from Israel, and he's went to Geshur. Uh, after all, he is uh, his mother was son of the, or, I'm sorry, his mother was daughter of the king uh, of Geshur. Uh, And so Talmai was actually his grandfather, so he fled there, uh, basically looking for help. But uh, if we really look at everything that has taken place, this chapter, and maybe the last couple chapters, we've seen that the house of David has progressively gotten worse and worse and worse and worse. What we're seeing is the ripple effect of sin, right? David committed many sins. The most uh, notable is probably in chapter 9 with Bathsheba. Right where he called Bathsheba, knowing that she was already married to Uriah, one of his soldiers, called Bathsheba into his room to be alone with her, exactly what Amnon did. There's a very close similarity there. And then David goes and he kills Uriah, or has Uriah killed, exactly what Absalom did to Amnon. And so we see a very close resemblance here, but we have to think about the prophecies that have been given to David because it says that David's house will reign forever. That, that through David's house, there will come a, a, a good king. And we look at this and we say, where? Because <laughs> not looking good. That dude's a rapist. That dude's a murderer. All the others are cowards that ran away. Where's the good king? The good king comes in Luke chapter 2. And it says, for unto you was born this day in the city of David a savior which is Christ the Lord. Amen. You see, they, like us, they looked in all the wrong places for hope. Right? We look at politics. We got the 2024 election coming up like it's going to fix something. (laughs) Right? We're all hoping it's not going to fix anything. The only thing that can, the only one that can fix everything is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It is Jesus. He is the one that can correct every mistake. He is the one that can blot out every sin. He is the one that can deliver all people. He is the one. It's it's not the kings. It's not the sons of David. It's Jesus Christ. He is where our hope lies. I'm going to end with just a quick story, something that happened yesterday. I I love summertime. I don't know about you guys. I love summertime. I don't love sunburns, but I love summertime. Uh, I love especially around dusk when the, the lightning bugs start kind of flying up. It's just a beautiful sight. Yesterday was perfect. The temperature was perfect, and we were all sitting out on the porch and we seen, uh, or we weren't, we were sitting out throwing some, throwing some discs around the yard and uh, we seen lightning bugs start coming up. And, and so the kids naturally want to start catching them. And so we go around, London has this little bug container, has like mesh sides so you can see the bugs. And we went around and we just caught probably 100 lightning bugs. And, and put them in this little container. And finally, it was getting dark enough that you can no longer catch them, right? You can see them light up. By the time you get there, they're gone. Uh, and we said, all right, let's go over and sit on the, just sit on the porch for a minute. And uh, we sat down on the porch, and we, we sat down in the container, and we were just going to take the lid off. And I think we, we expected something a little bit more extravagant than took place, right? Thought 100 lightning bugs were in the mist of light, and it's going to be beautiful. Lightning bugs are very slow, <laughs> right? And so we took off the lid, and then nothing, nothing. And then slowly one would crawl up and he'd walk around, he'd look around, check the time, and then he'd fly off. And so what we thought was going to be a big, beautiful moment, it took about 35 minutes for these lightning bugs to finally get up out of this thing as they just slowly took off and moved. We took off the lid, their freedom was there, and yet they still moved slow. But even at the end, when we're about to go inside, we're about to give up on you guys. I look in, there's still two little lightning bugs just hanging out down there, content in their confinement, right? And finally, I'm like, all right, you guys got to get out. And uh, I just tapped them off, and hopefully they're fine. But I thought, what a beautiful picture of the sacrifice of Jesus is that when we realize that our sin is confinement, that our sin is a cage that we are trapped in, Our sin is a a misery that we are stuck in, that we, each and every one of us, we are confined, we are bound, we are in bondage to sin, we are a slave to sin. But because of what Jesus did on the cross for us, he has removed the lid. And freedom is ours. We can fly high, we 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 can escape because of the blood of Jesus that was shed for us on the cross. We are set free. We are no longer bound by sin. We are set free by the blood of Jesus. No matter what you've done, no matter what mistakes you've made, no matter what you've been through, the blood of Jesus frees all. But there are some that are still stuck in the cage. And they, are, they have found contentment in captivity. They have found contentment in misery. And they've just accepted this is how life is. And if you're here today and you're still in the cage that you're just, you found satisfaction in misery or satisfaction in addiction or or satisfaction in sin, I want you to know that the God of all creation, he loves you and he sets you apart. He He has set you free. You need only accept it. The lid has been removed. Freedom is yours. And it is up to you to move forward. In Revelation, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. You need only open it and I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. You notice he didn't say you got to clean it all up. You got to get it all together. You got to be perfect. You got you to quit everything that you're stuck in. You have to give up every single sin at this very moment before I'll ever enter in. No, no, no. Jesus is the one who comes in and he helps clean up. And so if you're here today and you're still stuck in the metaphorical cage and you're still holding on to sin and you're not fully committing your life to Jesus, I just wanna tell you that he loves you and he wants so much better for you than what you're going through right now. And his ways are better. His ways are better and his promises are better and his hope is better. And he's calling you home to him. So wherever you're at right now, whatever you're facing, whatever life is throwing at you, I don't know who in this story you look more like but i want you to know there is a god of all creation that loves you and he wants to set you free he wants to free you from the bondage of sin and watch you flourish romans 10:9 says if you say with your mouth and you believe in your heart that christ is lord and that he died for you then you will be saved it's not complicated it's simply saying and it's believing and you will be saved no matter what you've done or how many mistakes you've made. Salvation can be yours. Let me pray for you. I'm just gonna pray for everybody. Father God. We thank you so much for this day, Lord. We thank you for everything you do for us and you do through us. God, I just pray for your Holy Spirit to be present. God, it is your spirit that that moves us. It is your spirit that convicts us. God, it is your spirit that changes us. God, and I pray that, that if none of these words were heard today, Lord, but I just pray that your spirit is experienced today. God, I pray that you'd be with each and every person in here. You know our pain. You know our struggle. You know what we're going through, Lord. Uh, I just pray that you would be here in this place, God, that you would lead our hearts and our steps in your direction. Lord, I pray for comfort and peace and mercy today. Be with us all, Lord. We love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.